This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. I wish you a merry, merry Christmas. I wish you a merry, merry war. I wish you a merry Christmas. I'd like to wish you a merry Christmas. I'd like to wish you a merry Christmas. And a happy, a happy new year. Strange Showcase Alternate Christmas Special number two. As this year we look at possibly one of the first slashes ever with Bob Clark's Black Christmas, as well as possibly one of the most unique adaptations of the Nutcracker ever in 2009's The Nutcracker in 3D. As always, I'm your host Edward Jones from the Dexter DVD Hell and Channel Superhome. And my guest this evening will no doubt be familiar to regular listeners of this show, as it gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the show both Emily and Travia. That's how I say it. And Christine Makepeace <laughs> at the Feminine Critique Podcast. Hi. Hello. I do apologize that somewhere. I just like, I think it's because I screwed it up on the last time you were on. Oh, everybody does. Hesitation. Don't feel bad. Easy, easiest way is just to read everything very phonetically and then you got it. Oh. I just don't say it. Or you could just that, not say it. You could last just not say it. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> hey, you. <laughs> um, obviously, you've been on the show in either solo appearances or. This is the second time that we've had you both on together. The first time was when we did the Under the Radar draft. Um, so it's great to obviously have you back on. Uh, this obviously being the second alternate Christmas special. Last year we looked at Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Christmas Evil. Mm-hmm. This year we're obviously got those key slashes out of the way and we're sort of like now on to sort of the B grade material of the list. One of these films I know 
Emily, you've been sparking this one woman campaign to get everyone to watch it for whatever I, reason. Because once you see it, you understand why. It's just one of the weirdest movies ever of the last 10 years. And nobody nobody saw it to talk about it. But everybody that sees it's like, yeah, man, that's, that's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, to say the least. But obviously on... <laughs> Obviously, over in the feminine critique, you've you've really sort of been going all out this festive season. And while most people have obviously been doing the usual sort of alternate Christmas specials, and you know, using an excuse to look at Die Hard or Christmas Evil or you know, one of their many Christmassy themed slashes, which apparently there's a lot more than I originally thought. Oh, there's so many. Um, it's one of those things too, where I think like the way zombie films were something that anybody could make and sell. I think the same thing happened for a while with Christmas horror movies mm -hmm. where you see more than like regular slashers or monster movies. If you were to walk into a video store like back, back when they existed and look and like you would find a lot of very amateur homemade Christmas horror movies because I think just the idea of Christmas horror was enough for some studios to be like, yeah, sure, we'll release it for you. Yeah. So there, that's why there's so many, and it also is why most of them are really bad. Yeah, and over on your show in the moment, you've been looking at a whole different sort of horror show <laughs> by looking at Time Life movies. We, we, went, we went in a different direction, yeah. Uh, I mean, again, we're actually covering Silent Night, Deadly Night, the original and the recent remake on our next episode. But in the meantime, what happened is just every year on my end, a couple of years ago, I did for the month of December on my blog, I just wrote about those Lifetime, Hallmark, ABC Family, those like ridiculously saccharine, feel-good, love story Christmas movies. And I did like a month where I wrote about them and it, it drove me insane because they're all really awful. They're usually. so good. Oh, they're, 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 <laughs> they are, you know, they're so good that you can't handle it. Kind I of went thing. a different direction with that. You yeah. did surprise me. <laughs> I, and now I brought Christine into the fold. Mm -hmm. So this year I decided like, because I, I realized without meaning to, I've watched like 10 of them this month. And so, and one day I'm like, you know, I could like talk about these for like 15 minutes and, and, burn through stuff so i'm like let's do some episodes on them so we've put out three so far there will be more coming don't worry yeah they're they're fascinating just for how bland they are if that makes any sense at all i i mean i have to love the fact that you've not just settled in just watching these films you've actually worked out like the blueprint of how to make your own time life movie it's like, very true it's guide yeah, it's, I'm starting to think now that you put it that way, I feel like I've got free time. I've got an iPhone. I can put this together myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, um, you need to use find apps the key roles. I got this. A Stephen Baldwin esque. Yeah, like I could find one on the streets. Are you kidding? Yeah, there you go. The homeless guys here are better looking than most of the Baldwins, let's face it. <laughs> Alec, though. But yeah, um, Emily has a knack for kind of see. <laughs> Seeking out some real special, special yeah. stuff, um, and she, I love her. <laughs> love her for it. I've Thanks, only, darling. I've only done one movie with her. Um, she's been tackling them on her own. Bless her, bless her heart. Um, oh, you're you're welcome to do as many as you want. I just I just feel bad putting it on you. It's definitely fun, um, but <laughs> maybe that's why you have a headache. A bit hard to get through. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, it's, it's been obviously great as a fan of the show, the fact that whereas before you've obviously got the two-week wait between episodes, and then with the stocking stuffers, you've sort of like 
been doing them every couple of days, it seems, or it may just be how how often I've updated the iTunes. But it's been nice, obviously, having this bulk of material from yourselves to obviously listen well, thank to you. it. Yeah, it, it felt like something we could do. Uh, and like literally the one I recorded in the morning before work while I was having my coffee. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping people are enjoying them and they're, uh, you know, giving them out there to our listeners for the holidays. Yeah. I mean, anyone who obviously follows the uh, Twitter feed, uh, if you've not already subscribed, you can find it at, at Elwood underscore Jones. You may have seen a conversation I had with Christine earlier in week on Twitter where... Christian, you were worried you were going to get the movies confused. Oh, don't worry, I am getting them confused. <laughs> and seeing as we the movies we're covering feature Nazi rats and Death by Glass Unicorn. Yep. And then this led to Emily trying to to sell this as an idea to Hallmark as a movie that they would that they should uh, they should have. I mean, yeah, some of them get pretty wacky. So I'm just saying, you know, they're they're going to run out of stuff at at some point. They're going to run out of ways to take the 12 blank of christmas title and no they're not i i mean i don't know i feel like it's been the last maybe like since 2008 where they've really been heavy on pushing these and at some point in time i don't know do you think they're gonna run out of former 90210 actors never i you're you know you're probably right because i just recorded one that's airing today where it's like new generation 90210 Mm. so like that in itself tells you that you're right they're never gonna run out of them but i still would like to see them get a little more creative so i can understand that um i think that there'll always be at least a little bit of a market for stuff like this though (laughs) yeah whether or not i understand that market is something else but yeah it's like writing romance novels, right? The thing of like, oh, this is a great way, you know, to maybe make a lot of money because there's a, an audience out there and it's probably very simple to do, like with the skills you have to just use yeah. them for this very mass commercial thing. It's probably the same with making these Lifetime movies. So yeah. have at it, kids. Well, I mean, WWE this year apparently have decided to try and get in they on the trend. Yeah, um, right? They got into it. Yeah, they, this uh, year they released uh, Santa's Little Helper, which starred The Miz and Paige. Yeah. Um, and a yeah. former actor from 90210, Annalyn McCord. Oh, yes. Um, I keep forgetting. Every time I see her, though, I always like, think of her in uh, Excision. <laughs> which is probably what she'd rather you have her think of her. <laughs> it's sort of like this one time with a few occasions where a, a pretty actress has uglied up for a role and not won an Oscar. <laughs> so I think she was yeah. like hoping that would be like, she was like looking at it going, this is going to be my like Charlie Ferrone in monster role. You know, this is going <laughs> to get me into the big time. But uh, no, she's making movies with WWE with now. WWE. So. Well, well, better luck next time. I'm sure they'll do a sequel. Um, and I mean, obviously last year they did uh, Jingle the Way 2. So it's weird that WWE studios who normally do like disposable action movies with, or I think they did a quick dance into horror as well i think they did oculus oh yeah they did well they yeah. their first movie i think was see no evil i believe was their first um venture uh, into it was the second because they did the marine first with john cena oh no 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 seen the yeah but that was i'm talking about the original see yeah, no evil that's see no evil was the okay, second one with kane okay and then uh yeah yeah, so I mean, and it made sense. Like, they're like, they, it made perfect sense, and it makes sense for them to do horror. Uh, and See No Evil is actually a fascinating film because it's when I watched it, I didn't know that Kane is like seven feet tall when I watched that movie, and that tells you how poorly put together that movie is. <laughs> that like they don't make good use of this man who's really intimidating. No. Um, but yeah, somehow they had they produced Oculus. I think they probably just 
um, help distribute Oculus for whatever reason, which makes no sense because it's so not a WWE movie. It's much better than that. Um, but they've, you know, they've found, they kind of found their niche. I think they're still trying to, uh, they, they don't quite seem to have found the exact way to maximize their audience for film. Yeah. But it's, I don't think they've been doing bombs, so. I think with, because originally the original plan was that they would put WWE wrestlers at, as like the starring roles and try and recapture what they had with The Rock with like the Scorpion right. King. With the second sort of run, uh, they seem to be now putting them as supporting characters. And it's why we have um, uh, like Santino showing up in Jingle the Way 2 as like the supporting character. And you have Larry right, they just kind of like show up on set one day. Yeah. Almost so, cameos, yeah. And I think David Otunga shows up in The Call, which was obviously had Halle Berry. Oh, I forgot that was a WWE movie. Yeah, I mean, I think That's this is odd. the way that they're getting past it, because obviously people see like WWE, they think, oh, we're going to have to like be subject to some questionable act in there. But um, yeah, it's, it's as I say, it's very weird. And when you see some like Triple H trying to do a family-friendly movie like The Chaperone, when he's like probably one of the biggest ass kickers in the WWE, <laughs> um, and see him trying to like play like the doting dad and you know the ex-con trying to be good and stuff. It's it's weird them trying to get into that time life market. But when it comes to festive viewing, I mean, do you have like a certain point which you start viewing festive viewing at, or is it sort of open season any sort of time of the year? Uh, for me, I unless it's a movie that just happens to. Like Die Hard, for example, is a good example of a movie that it is a Christmas movie, but it doesn't it that doesn't um, force it into a December viewing. I can watch that any time of year, but the movies that are very specifically Christmas, or Scrooged, or anything Christmas Carol based, I tend to just watch them, you know, between that Thanksgiving January first push for me. Okay, and Christine, do you have a a particular sort of point? Are you are you the same as Emily? Just as soon as December rolls around, it's sort of binge watch time. Um, kind of the same as Emily. Um, I don't really do much focused holiday watching. I, I guess this is probably the most I've done in a significant time, <laughs> just because of Sorry. the way. No, it's good. It's fine. Um, I like um holiday episodes of TV shows. Okay, mm. I mean, yeah, that would be my next question. I mean, like the Christmas episodes of The Office and of Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. And even, like, I don't know, Friends or something. Like, I find comfort in those. I could see that, because they're already more familiar. Yeah. So it's that whole, like, thinking of Christmas as, like, oh, a time you get together with your family. It's kind of that idea when it comes to TV. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. see that, yeah. I know that um, How I Met Your Mother's um, episode, How Lily Stole Christmas, is probably the only episode I'll watch of that show since the finale. Um, and how it managed to screw everything up with the series. But there's something so festive about that one episode that every time Christmas comes around, I always like to make sure I watch that. And obviously the Big Bang Christmas specials are pretty uh, great as well, Um, such as the Santa simulation where Santa shoots Sheldon with a cannon. Oh, my. I'm a big... um, The two Christmas episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, those I tend to try to watch every December. Yeah. Are you happy that it's been uh, crowdfunded now? Oh, I think that's wonderful. Uh, I met Joel Hodgson at a, a Horror Hound a few months ago, and he, he was so wonderful. Yeah. Like, of any famous person I've met at these conventions, 
he was so warm, so friendly, really funny. And at his Q&A, like, he did something that I've never seen anybody do before. Where he, he didn't have a moderator. He didn't need one. He just took the microphone. And it's like this big conference room. And then, you know, he sees everybody, of course, is scattered about. And he's like, you know what? I want everybody to move up. I want everybody in the first couple of rows. Like, everybody get close. Like, I want to. And you could tell it was just because, sorry, there's apparently like a, you know, <laughs> uh, the British are coming outside. Uh but he was, he wanted like the Q&A to be like warm and friendly and he answered every question and he remembered people. Uh, like he'd call on someone, he's like, oh, he's like, I, you came to my table today, I talked to you. And so it was so nice to see that he is such a fantastic guy. Uh, so I am just thrilled that he's going to have seemingly more success with MST and has a really cool team assembled. So I could not be happier about everything that happened there. Yeah. I think when it comes to the team, I'm a little more skeptical because it seems like very much flavor of the week casting. Uh, like the fact you've got Patton Oswald, uh, you've got the yeah, but they're very like it's Patton Oswald, Felicia Day, Dan Harmon. Yeah, but I I wouldn't be surprised if all of them were MST fans. And it it seems like it's it's um it's flavor of the week, but it's like geek flavor of the week. So it's kind oh, of cool. but Felicia Day. I can never see her as being. Oh, like a, a geeky Day. chick it's sort of like oh she's just to me she comes very much because it's like the hot chick who says that she's into nerd stuff no i don't think that's the case at all with her i just i just don't that's what people think about me oh <laughs> it is it's the <laughs> yeah the you guys just bowl right through that <laughs> <laughs> well if because i'm like oh no there's gonna be a fight brewing <laughs> no, I I don't think I don't think Felicia Day is a fake geek girl at all. Okay. Yeah, um, I I agree hundred percent. I think that she's a little too committed to it and not famous enough for it to be paying off for that to be the way that she yeah. is. So that's yeah, I feel good move. Yeah, and I've heard interviews with her, and I've I read actually a really interesting. Um, this is getting off topic, but I found this fascinating. Arthur Chu, who was um, the Jeopardy champion a while back, uh, has done a lot of writing for Salon. He's a very, very interesting guy to read his essays. And he talked, after Gamergate was going on, he wrote a really interesting article about how years ago, like before he was mildly famous for Jeopardy, he, like, he basically was saying how he was one of those guys that could have been that kind of Gamergate guy. He was like an awkward uh, computer nerd, everything else. And he went to something that Felicia Day was hosting and like it was it was like clearly he was very awkward there he didn't have any friends there and all that and how like she was just so nice to him and like could kind of see that he was interested but was awkward there and like invited him out with everybody afterwards and it was just this really neat little look into uh this this kind of culture and the different sides of it and somebody like Arthur Chu and somebody like Felicia Day and I don't know I think she's genuine and I think she's awesome mm -hmm. I mean, also my other main concern, especially when they bring back any sort of one of these nostalgia product projects, we I mean we've got obviously the X Files is jan coming out sure. in January, uh, which obviously my wife is very excited about. Nobody told me what I'm going to be doing when it's showing here, uh, <laughs> which is apparently sitting out in the shed and not talking. That so reasonable. I'm not. This is the thing. It's sort of like I'm not allowed to comment. if X Files is on. I'm not allowed to comment or throw in any of my bits of trivia or anything. I've just got to sit there and shut up. <laughs> The thing I'm most upset about, obviously, about the Exiles is the fact that Crycheck, they haven't found a way to bring him back, although somehow they're bringing back William B. Davis. But my other concern, whenever you bring back one of these nostalgia projects, especially with uh, Mr. Science 
Bid 3000, which ran for, what, nine seasons? I think it was 11 in all. To me, that would just got very much the feeling that it had run its course. And it's, the, especially as it's got such a rabid fan base, the fact that whatever they do, is it ever going to live up to the hype that the fans have got for it? These sort of high expectations? We'll find out. As I said, I just, I, it's some of the concerns me whenever I hear about when these projects being brought back. Will it be able to live up to the legacy? I mean, mm-hmm. and sometimes it away. doesn't. But I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about it, so I'm gonna keep my keep my smile face on for it and okay. see what it does. Your smile face. My smile face. What's that? It's scary. <laughs> yeah, seems that way. <laughs> Um, Christine, obviously in the writing side of things, have you had any, any sort of inclinations to write anything sort of horror festive themed or? Um, I did some stuff that didn't get accepted for some festive contests. So, I mean, that was something, right? Um, some, what if Cthulhu came for Christmas type stuff? Um, I liked it, but apparently they didn't. So that's fine. Um... <laughs> but nothing particularly festive. I don't live in a festive place. Um, it's yeah, awful. in Austin, which is just it's hot all the time. Awful and hot. It was hot and humid and rainy and seventy-five degrees today. So, well, actually, it was like sixty-five degrees here in New York today. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that yeah. makes me feel no, a little. It was bizarre. People were wearing shorts. I was wearing a three-quarter sweater, and I was hot. It's, we're having like this really weird warm weather that's kind of creepy but amazing. So don't feel bad. It was on. It was shorts weather here. That makes me feel a lot better yeah. about myself. Cool. Good. <laughs> um, and I mean, do you have any strong feelings that we already heard what Emily said to say about Mr. Science Sphere Three Thousand? I mean, uh, do you have any sort of feelings about the show? Were you a fan or? Um, a casual fan. I would put it on Sunday late afternoon and not know what I was watching and laugh hysterically and think I was the only person watching it, like not <laughs> understanding. I mean, pre, it's pre-internet. Like, yeah, it is, it is pre-internet, yeah, for the most like, part. Like, I didn't know that that was a thing that other people were, like, laughing at, too. Um, I didn't ever consistently see... I never sought it out. I never... I never watched it with a group of people. I don't have the same relationship that people do with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't contribute to the Kickstarter. I guess it's cool that it's coming back. People seem really pumped about it. So, Yeah. I I don't know, even know if we're going to make it over here to the UK because it, it never had a showing here in the UK. It was like, yeah. like tells, tells on the Crypt Keeper. It, it just never got shown over here for whatever reason. Um, so any sort of exposure the British fans of the show have had has been purely through the internet and word of mouth and whatnot. Hmm. So It'd be interesting to see if they attempt to, with this new launch, to try and bring it over to the British shores, or whether obviously the licensing and all these other sort of background aspects uh, stop it or not. But uh, yeah, I I can't say I'm a fan. I just never really got the idea of just people shouting random things at the screen. (laughs) To each their own. I'm happy for the people who are obviously donated money like and uh, <laughs> back and uh, you donated did you emily sorry uh you know i didn't because i was a, i was going to and then like by the time i remember to they'd met their goal i'm like okay i guess they're okay it's all right, just... i don't think they need anything from me it's they're fine. all set they're good <laughs> but anything i mean obviously the festive season notes of recording we still got a fair bit of the festive season coming up i mean have you two got any sort of plans for the festive season coming up or i didn't even decorate i have a I... christmas tree 
Oh, it's more than me. Is it a real tree? Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. And the little ornament that um, you <gasps> Yay! got. Yay! Um, yay! Yeah, we decorated. We're not exchanging Christmas presents. Um, I was currently unemployed when they had their Christmas party. I missed it by like three days. So I will not be going to that Christmas party. Um, I don't know. I get I get four days off surviving That's Christmas. I don't I don't fucking care about anything else. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, do you either of you have any sort of like horror or sort of cult themed uh, Christmas ornaments? The only reason I ask is because this year I finally got my Godzilla Christmas ornament. So oh, cute! It's awesome. Oh, yeah. My tree ornaments themselves. Like I don't have. I tend to like have stuff that I realize if I put a little um, hook through it, it makes a good Christmas ornament. Nice. Um, so I have like Christine, you had gotten me a little Chucky keychain like that. Yep. I hang on my tree. I have a little Freddy like thing that's supposed to hang in a car that goes on my tree. A bunch of body parts of different action figures that make for cute little tree ornaments. Why don't um, you have a tree? You know what? Here's the thing: is because. Uh, we're going to be away the week of Christmas. I'm going to visit, oh, we'll be visiting enough. my in-laws in Kentucky. And even last year, you know, we did that and I still had a tree. But the problem is the last few years it's been, it's a pain to lug a tree up my very high walk-up building. You make a lot of really good points. And so then I got the ugliest fake tree I could find because I wanted a really ugly fake tree. And it is, it's like gold lame. It's, it's hideous and I love it. But the problem is... Uh, the first year it was no problem, and then last year my cat decided he wanted to keep chewing on it and eating it, and it's really bad for cats to eat because it's the kind of stuff that just comes out of them, and then you have to deal with helping them get it out of them yeah. sometimes. Uh, and I figured, I'm like, you know, considering we're away that whole week, I'm going to come home, and it's just going to be everywhere, so we just kind of decided, ah, well, just won't decorate this year. And I'm kind of regretting it. You can hang a string really of excited. lights or something. I'm thinking I might do that today. I've just got this horrible image of golden cat crap all over you. Oh, yeah. Now. It's, it's, just... it's not nearly as pretty as you think it should be. Yeah. Cats are just bastards when it comes to the tree. I know I have to keep constantly getting pickle out of it. Yep. Because like, what they do is they'll walk over to the tree and they'll sit there and like they'll look at you and look back at the tree and look at you. And then they'll just like take their paw and they'll just smack an ornament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they are. They're assholes when it comes to trees. It sounds cute, except when it's your tree. I don't have a cat, so I can laugh. There you go. Thank you. Life decisions. Okay. Um, obviously, on to uh, if anyone has just obviously tuned in randomly to the middle part of this podcast and thinks we're now pet rescue or whatnot, <laughs> I can assure you are still listening to my Bad and Damage Strange Showcase. On to the first of our films, though, this evening. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bob Clark's 1974 slasher, Black Christmas. Um, not only a legendary film within the old Christmas sort of genre but also within slasher films on a whole as it marks one of the first slasher films within the genre um bob clark probably be best known for giving us the likes of porkies and porkies 2 as well as making brief forays into the horror genre with films like children shouldn't play with dead things uh this being probably one of his better entries within the horror genre and in it it features a sorority house finding themselves being plagued with continual and frequently disturbing prank calls from an unknown caller. However, it's not long before they start to take on a murderous turn as the girls soon find themselves being preyed upon, while Lieutenant Fuller, here played by John Saxton, tries to track down the source of the calls. This is uh, one of the slashers which uh, was remade in 2006 uh, with mixed results. The original, however, is a much more subtler slasher and 
probably as a result of it is the reason why it's more overlooked by the likes of both Christmas Evil and Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, but opening thoughts on this one, Emily and Christine, what's uh, your thoughts on Black Christmas? Well, I'm going to first just say something that's really funny about when you in- introduce Bob Clark, because what you said was, you know, what he's most known for, and the thing you didn't say, and I wonder how Christmas much story. of this... Exactly! And that's what I'm thinking, <laughs> it's got to be, it's the American thing. It's got to be, yeah. Yeah, Christmas Story well, Christmas didn't... Story is, like, the, I would say, these days, that is the definitive American Christmas movie. That's, and that's the thing that when you see that name and you go, why do I know that name? That's yep. why you know that name. Because it was on six days straight and you <laughs> oh, saw yeah. it go by a hundred times. That's why you know that name. Yeah. In America. And, and, and yes, in, in the land of the free. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to the tyrannous Britain where, where they make I get... you watch Porky's over and over <laughs> Well, you guys have so much porkies and children shouldn't play with dead things. You don't even get Death Dream or Dead you know of Night. What? I think I'm, I'm moving. That sounds appealing. <laughs> We've already had the Brit- you bashing the British with this assumption that we're all just a bunch of fruit stole, manning, cockney speaking, pork pie loving, tea drinking limes <laughs> over here. Is that not true? You know, as I, you know, after I listened to that show where you're obviously uh, talking about, um, I'm trying to remember its name now, that awful one with the guys in a field in England. Field in England. Um, <laughs> we and did was, our impeccable accents. Is that yeah, one you That's right, we did. I you know, <laughs> and I went out and I stood on these rain soaked shows drought in uh, my bowler hat and clutching my cricket bat and I shook my fist at those American I bet shows. you did. Oh, well, you know, we, we get some things wrong, Emily. I hope it's for us today. <laughs> but I mean, listen, I mean, you obviously say about Christmas Story, but he, this is the guy who also gave us baby geniuses. Well, he had, a, you know, a weird run because some of his smaller films, and I would say the movie he made right before Black Christmas is, is a little kind of monkey's paw uh, movie called Dead of Night. And it's fantastic. It's a really good uh, Viet, post-Vietnam horror movie that's sad and scary and it's very underrated. Uh, and then he does Black Christmas, which I'll tip my hat and say I, I loved. Uh, and then he kind of gets into, I can't, he was getting hits. He was getting Porky's. He was getting Rhinestone. Uh, and then at some point he just kind of, I guess, stuff happened and he ended up with Baby Geniuses. And, mm. you know, it's, and, oh God, and I forgot, he did Karate Dog, which is. I saw horrible. that in his filmography. Yeah, um, I watched it. I reviewed it a few years ago, and it's horrifying. Like it's uncomfortable. Chevy Chase is doing the karate dog voice, and he, oh, he's, of course he is. He's more <laughs> miserable in the movie than like he usually is, kind of thing. But so Bob Clark is a guy that I think had. I wish he had stayed in the horror genre because I think he would have had a really good body of work. Yeah, and I actually there's a lot of titles on there that might be horror movies that I haven't seen, so I may actually go into his like more lesser known stuff and see if there is anything else good there. Because I really think this and um, Dead of Night are both really fantastic movies. And I was, I, I'd seen this movie at some point in life, but I really, the more I was watching it, I'm like, I'm sure I watched it, but I probably wasn't paying attention and watching it, sitting down and watching it. I loved this movie. Okay. This is arguably, I mean, obviously, Bob Clark, this is really him working in his prime. And, this film is, while it's a slasher, it's a lot more subtler than the later slashers of the 80s, like Friday the 13th, 
and obviously they're festive slashes which followed it, especially like Silent Night, Deadly Night, which for some reason always gets all the sort of credit when we talk about festive slashes. And it's always surprised me the fact that the protest groups decided to pick up on that one when obviously this came out before uh, well, Christmas Eve came out. Well, the video nasties. That was that was the big part of it. Is um, it's Reagan's in office and. The I mean, video nasties I think started in, in England as far as the term and all that stuff, but I think this this was so under the radar and was before slashers were a thing, yeah, and were aimed at a younger audience. And this I think that's part of it is this it is a horror movie it is a slasher but it doesn't um, it's it's not vandalizing Christmas the way I think people felt Silent Night Deadly Night is. Yeah, Silent Night Deadly Night having just watched it is really is really like let's let's take a shit on this holiday. <laughs> yeah. Like not in like a like I have opinions about that movie and Emily and I will talk about it soon. But like it really was you know, it's it, it's set around the holiday like it's how many people can we strangle with strings of lights and right. and stuff like that whereas it seemed like this one just happened to take place it's just on, this yeah. one's just a setting yeah it's not it's not the driving force behind the movie it's a this is a, i i would say violence aside this is a more disturbing like meaner movie to me than silent night deadly night was but i mean you say say obviously about those two films trying to like crap on the season but with both their killers or crazy persons in the case of uh, Christmas Evil, they explain why they are the way they are. I mean, Billy obviously is brought up with these like traumatic events and crazy nuns, and it it causes him to sort of snap because of the association he has with Christmas. Uh, when we obviously look at Christmas Evil and we've got the young boy seeing um, Santa kissing mum in a very intimate place, um, <laughs> that's like his sort of... His origin, the, the yeah. reasons, but obviously the protest groups, it kind of went over them because they just look at the trailer and like made up the mind that, oh, it's Santa carrying out the killings. It's not a killer in a Santa costume. Um, but here we don't have anything, as you said already, Christine. We don't have like the killer in a Santa costume. He's, it is just mainly a setting. I also feel that the film peaks within its first kill. It has that great kill where we see the girl being suffocated with the shower curtain um, and then basically put stuff up in the attic and the film never manages to top that it just constantly seems to be trying to build the tension and give us something better but it never seems to top that moment i don't know how youtube obviously found it or well yeah so you should just watch the remake because it's just that over and over and over <laughs> i watched the remake though that's <laughs> why i watched it's all about the kills and this movie I, you don't see it's not about the kills. yeah it's not about the kills no. i actually had to get out of that mindset watching this i kept saying like well i didn't see i didn't see it so i don't believe it yet <laughs> mm. like i actually had to see something go into someone's body or somebody like hanging from something to believe that they were actually dead because <laughs> I, ha I have that stuck in my head like i'm waiting for somebody to fake me out when obviously that's not the the purpose of this film they're not trying to get one over on me there's no twist i think right we, we're so ready for a fucking twist that we're looking for the person who faked their own death or something and there's well i mean there's kind of a red there's a red herring i guess for sure which is completely different than like showing me or representing that a character dies only to have them show up. Like that character actually be the killer. Yeah, so it was refreshing in that regard. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I found it, like, yes, you're right, the opening, or not, not the opening, but the early, the first on-screen kill is effective and is very, is done really well. And I, I could see what you're saying, because afterwards you get, you know, the, um, like, house mother, it's such a setup, like, you know, like, the whole time you're like, okay, waiting for it, waiting for it, and it's not the the biggest set piece when it happens. Yeah. And then afterwards, you're right, you get a couple of uh, teases and you don't, oh, you know, you don't see uh, one death, you don't see it all. Um, but I guess, I don't know, for me, the creepiness, part of it too, is that I did find it really funny for other reasons. But the creepiness worked on me, the phone call voice. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. What he was saying. And I mean, this is not really spoiling, but I like not knowing anything. And I really liked the when when you leave and realizing that you you really still don't know. I was fine with that uh, because I think it just somehow made everything a little creepier. Okay. I mean, just to obviously touch on the calls here. I mean, while we say there are prank calls, this is a problem I had with both this uh, version and the remake. Is that when we get the prank calls, it's not just him sort of babbling nonsense. He seems to have like a full production sweet happening because he's like got various sound effects happening he's got his insane rambling it's sort of like what's going on here this isn't exactly why cast has been a prank call it's just more of a some guy babbling nonsense at me yeah it's i did did you find that the prank calls actually add to the tension i found there were moments where they sort of really added to the the tension i've seen other times where they're just more of annoyance i mean i i found them creepy i don't know i did too and because it's also, you know, it's these, it's women, they're home alone uh, with a really ineffectual police department, like the most hilariously, you know, like the worst cops since um, Last House on the Left. Uh, like, it's terrible. like they're really like a girl comes in, she's like, I've been raped. And the police officer is like, ha ha, you're funny. Like it's like, the, and the one point when the cops are just laughing, like they're really shitty cops. And that kind of adds to them really being helpless but not stupid i guess and that's the other thing that i really loved about it and this you know the same could be said for halloween mm. i love the girls and olivia hussey as just oh, that so character good. i mean what is the first we we we're, we meet this character and she's telling her boyfriend i'm gonna have an abortion and he's saying oh my god you can't do that well, what about me well i'm gonna marry you do you want to marry me and she's like no it's not your choice I'm not going to drop all everything because you want to get married. So right away, I'm like totally on her side. And that went a long way for me of having a very modern woman uh, as your final girl. Uh, for me, that was uh, that that kept me into the movie the whole time. And doesn't it just uh, shake up the rules, the supposed rules of the slasher genre? I mean, the final girl is supposed to be the virginal beauty. She's pregnant, so Yeah. And the flip side of that is the very beginning of the movie, Claire, who's the girl who's killed in you know and left in the attic, she's the one that is the virgin who is very uncomfortable with everybody talking about sex. And in this movie she's the first one to die. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about Margot Kidder. Oh my god. <laughs> so so at first I actually watched the remake before I watched this one, uh, having not seen either of them, just because we clicked on the wrong one first, and I was like, just fucking let it play. So, <laughs> I was trying to match up the characters. 
Okay. Which, which, who is the Barb character in the remake? The drunk? Yeah. There is a there is a there is a drunk drunky girl in the is it in the No, she's not. It's somebody okay. else. All the girls in the remake are from other things, which is really what I was into. I was like, oh, it's like half these people were in final, right. one of the final destinations. Um <laughs> so the the remake's not not good, but it didn't do everything wrong, but I, I thought, like, okay, well, oh, Mario Kidder's the drunk one, but the drunk one didn't make it that far, spoiler, and the remake, but wait, I thought Michelle, Mario Kidder was, was, the, was, the, was the lead, so I got super fucking confused, and then she just, <laughs> she just continuously proves herself drunker and drunker as the <laughs> yeah. film progresses to a comical degree. <laughs> Like, there is the scene where she's, like, I guess looking at a Playboy and, like, draped over the couch. <laughs> and, like, she just, like, is holding a pencil and she drags it across the page. Like, I don't know. Was she drunk? She's volunteering with kids and she's, like, chugging champagne. And giving him boo, the little boy boobs. <laughs> I wish that was the whole movie, to be honest with it you. It was pretty amazing. I don't know. I love a blousy alcoholic on film. And Margot Kidder in this movie is the definition of that. She was just doing it. Yep. Doing it for real. It was great. And, it was like, and it's Margot Kidder, so it's even better because you yeah. just, it, you know, she's got the right voice for it and every, and she's just going, going for it. Yeah. I, I mean, as much as I love Michelle Trackenberg, these girls are a lot more fun to be around than yep. the disposed ones of the remake. As you said, everyone's drunk. The house mother's hiding alcohol. Yeah, After like five seconds without a drink in this film, she's like hiding alcohols in like the cistern tank and in books and things. Um, and obviously you mentioned already Barb, who's like drunk and working with kids. And she has her most like foul-mouthed boyfriend who's there like swearing and cursing at all the kids um, as he's supposed to be obviously working with these underprivileged kids. But the scene where uh, she's giving the, the little kid uh, alcohol was just brilliant. It was amazing. It was really funny. And and I don't want to. I may. I need to make sure that we don't not talk about Art Hindle's coat. Art Hindle wears his coat like. It's like. Oh my gosh! Yes, it was. It was like a fur bear. My God! It it he was wearing a grizzly bear, and like there's no comment about it. And apparently that was just Art Hindle's coat. That's and it was probably right. cold, and he's like, you know, I have a coat. Can I just wear it for the movie? They're like, yeah, sure. And then he comes in with it. They're like, oh, all right, guess we'll go with. Okay, I just want to bring up the boyfriend character. I think it's safe to say he's the red herring of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's so overplayed, I feel, that it's sort of like... It's almost as if Clark's there going, okay, this could be the killer. You know, he's crazy. Um, that's what I felt. I don't know. What did you think of the boyfriend? I mean, do you think he was just, like, poorly written? Or do you think it was intentional, him, like, skits? I kind of like that he was so flaky. <laughs> Uh, I like that he was such a drama queen, just because it's not something you usually see uh, from the man in these kinds of movies. Like, you can see the crazy girlfriend, but it's rare to have the crazy, overly emotional boyfriend. So that in itself, I, I found really fascinating. Um, I mean, I, I never believed him to be the killer. I just didn't think he was... Uh, I thought he was kind of crazy in a different way. Uh, so that, but at the same time, the scene in the basement towards the end where she's running from the killer, he's outside. Uh, you know, at that point, I was kind of, that's where it kind of got me of, I don't know, it could be him. And that was effective for me towards that point. So, 
I mean, how does she sort of work as a final final girl? I mean, do we think that she, she's a good final girl, or do you think she's can't really be classed as a, a final girl? And it's just purely more a case of uh, coincidence the fact that she's the only one left standing, so we class her as being the final girl. To me, even though she's essentially pre-definite, like Jamie Lee Curtis is what everybody would think of as the first final girl. Yeah. But there's no reason Jess isn't because she is. She's and it's not really spoiling anything. She's the last one there, and she goes through the same having to defend herself, having to do all this. And I loved her as a final girl. I thought I found it really interesting to think of her compared to Laurie Strode because they are quite different you know I mean, just the age being one thing she's older but again the way Laurie Strode was kind of the beacon of purity and you know the good girl Jess who is not by any means the bad girl but you know Jess is, is Jess's plan tomorrow is to have an abortion and it's just not what you would ever expect to have in a movie like this and the movie doesn't judge her for it which I love uh, so for that, like for that alone, I was just really on board with her, um, and I I was cool with it. What about you, Christine? But is she like? Isn't the end? I don't want to spoil things too much. They leave things. It's not, it's kind of ambiguous. So do we know that she is the final girl? We don't know that she. Well, by the end of this movie, I would say when the credits roll, she's still the final girl. Okay. Whether if they were to do a sequel that took place 10 minutes later, she'd still be one, that is up for debate. Okay. F- I accept that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the end scene especially is there's two real creepy scenes within, this, within the film. The first being the death by Flash Unicorn with her screams being drowned out by the Cowlers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the second, which really got to me for some reason, is the fact that you have the house mother's body and you have the body of Claire, the first death in the film. Um, you see their bodies up in the attic and the police are saying these bodies are unaccounted for. Yeah, and yeah. I, that bugs <laughs> Again, the world's shittiest police. <laughs> Just look upstairs, you people. Right. Uh, did they not... They didn't search the house. The calls are coming... Spoiler. The calls are coming from inside the house. Let's not search the house. Which is crazy because we have both phones in front of us and nobody's calling. Yeah. Well, yeah, these were the worst cops. So. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, mean, I think that last image was great. Uh, and the other thing that the scene that I found really disturbing was kind of the first uh, Billy freakout scene, where after he hangs up on one on one of the calls, and you just kind of get point his point of view and everything. It's just him kind of throwing shit around and freaking out. I don't know. That worked for me. I was scared of him. I I didn't know anything about him other than the fact that he was clearly insane and violent, yeah. and just him kind of going. Bleh, bleh, it it worked on me. I was creeped out. Okay. Um. Yeah. It's. I don't know. I d- I don't think I see this film the same way everyone else does. Um. I d- I. I just couldn't get into it as much. I think maybe because I was going into it expecting a. As a traditional slasher. Yeah. Um, it's a little boring. I mean, and so. I don't mean that in the in the shit shitty mean sense. But like, it's not. I somebody tweeted at me when I was watching it that they think it's a better movie than Halloween. No. 
I don't think I, I think <laughs> I would, that yeah, everybody can have an opinion, but I don't agree with that opinion because for me, I have just recently watched Halloween too. Um, Halloween isn't slow. It's not bloated. It's paced perfectly. Everything happens for a reason. Everything drives the plot. I can't say that about this movie though. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree to that. Um, but that's okay. Like it's still good, and I would watch it again, and I probably like it even more if I watched it again because I don't know if my expectations were where they should have been when I sat down. I think maybe because of how this film's paced, that when they came to do the 2006 remake, they try to do a traditional slasher. And the thing which frustrates me the most about the 2006 remake, uh, other than the fact that we have one of the killers um, looks like he's. A li- doing a live action version of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, there was way too yes. much facts. Something yeah. that was so effective in the original is that you don't really know anything. And then yeah. w- when they completely go the opposite way in the remake, it's a really strange choice. Mm. I, mean, I like, think let's see the reasoning behind it as far as like, eh, we're not really going to remake it, so why not, you know, uh, why not explore it the complete reverse? Like, I'm okay with a remake kind of deciding to do uh, something completely new with the material, just because my least favorite remakes are the ones that are just, you know, reshooting the old one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it just, it doesn't work great, because I just think there's a lot of reasons the remake doesn't quite work, but... Yeah, I, the main problem with the remake is the fact that they try to cram in all these flashbacks um, to, obviously, Billy's bizarre and uh, tortured childhood and, <laughs> and there's the whole incest yeah. angle and there's cookies being made out of his mother's back and oh it's just because of a mess and <laughs> it's so frustrating that, that we have all this garbage in the first hour and then it the last half an hour is so good it's just like kill after kill and they're like really great invented kills the splatter's really good uh, there's someone getting impaled on a Christmas tree which if anyone who's knows what a Christmas tree is like, there's no way you can impale yourself on one to <laughs> fall over as soon as you look at the thing. Right. So, yeah, it, uh, it frustrated me, the fact that we had all this this garbage in there. Um, and it couldn't be as good as the last half hour, which just frustrates me. And you could see, obviously, when they tr- came to it, it was like, okay, everyone expects Black Christmas to be a slasher. Why don't we just do it as a slasher? But, again, it's not a good remake, as in the, the recent... Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night remake, uh, titled bizarrely Silent Night, so I thought it was a completely different movie, which goes its own track, and I I thought that was really awesome. Um, I really enjoyed that one, but yeah, this is uh, certainly the remake for this one was a case of trying to improve on the original and just failing horribly. Um, But I know this film certainly has its fans. Um, I can't say I'm one. Um, Hmm. I am one now. You are one. Yeah. I wasn't before the, again, this was really my first real watch of this movie, I'd say. Uh, and I, I wasn't disappointed. I was pleasantly pleased. Mm. I, what about you, Christine? I think I'm right in the middle of you guys. Mm. I would definitely watch it again. I would recommend anybody that hadn't seen it, take a look at it. Um, but I would really caution against trying to view it too much as a slasher like i think picking up the slasher elements and and really looking at at it as like like a pre-slasher is good but like if you're expecting the same kind of structure then and i think i might have been a little bit Mm. especially especially watching the the remake first i thought like oh well this is just gonna be like a a cool a cooler bloodbath and it it wasn't (laughs) 
I find it a similar experience to when I heard Friday the 13th being compared to uh, Mario Barber's Bear Blood. I went into Bear Blood thinking, oh, right, this is going to be really cool. This is going to be like Friday the 13th. <laughs> and it's not. It's kind of like just more about family dysfunction and with slasher elements than, you know, a straightforward uh, slasher. But yeah, I mean, this, this film has some nice moments. I mean, we obviously have the scenes where we've got John Saxton running around the phone exchange when they're trying to trace the calls. And the fact it. I still don't know how he was able to call from within the house. They have um, a second line. Um, the the house mother has her own line. There's a there's a there's a kind of throwaway piece of dialogue about it. Okay. They say, are there, are there any other house phones in the house? And she said, yeah, you know, whatever the house mother. But he hasn't called from that line, so they don't bother to bug it. Cool. Um, <laughs> I, I really. Zach asked the same thing. And I was like, no, actually, there was a bit of dialogue about it. For some reason, I retained it. I just, I don't know. It was interesting. Is this like, I really like the, it's coming from inside the house. I yeah. don't know. But this, they did it really well in this. I think they did it really well, yeah. Because it's, because that's a moment, too, where I think you really look at what the final girl does. Because they tell her, get just get out of the house. Just walk out of the house. But she's standing there on the phone knowing her two friends are sleeping inside and she has no idea if they're alive or dead. And so that moment, I think, is a great litmus test because you could have her run outside. You could have her go look at her friends or instead, in this case, she picks up a weapon and then investigates. So I liked that because that's the choice that I would want my final girl to make. Yeah, I'm so glad that you also uh, mentioned that, Christine, about what Zach said about the second line. Um, Yeah. I mean, certainly going into this one, I've, I've came away feeling like very similar to when I watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death, um, in that <laughs> I think I was watching a different film to everyone else, especially because the second half of this film falters so much. The first half was pretty good, but the second half kind of falters, and it it, it becomes so... It suffers so many missteps that it, it took me out and uh, didn't stay that sort of engrossing experience I was hoping it to be. But uh, final thoughts on uh, this one, of Anything else that you want to bring up for this one? I mean, for me, it it did a lot of... It's interesting to view, again, as a pre-slasher. Um, but on its own, I think it had a lot that connected for me. I found it creepy, uh, and I was really invested in the characters. So, um, recommend on my end. Interesting. I liked it. Um, I would watch it again. But I'm glad I watched it. Last question I have to ask, really. I mean... Is it possible to remake any of these classic horror movies and, and obviously do it well? Uh, is there such a good thing as a good horror remake? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Can you I think a remake it, than The Thing? Well, I mean, The Fly, <laughs> uh, the, the Blob. Blob. I always go, The Blob, I think, is the best Dawn of the Dead. Of Dawn of the Dead, yeah. Which, yeah. again, Dawn of the Dead's my favorite movie of all time. And there you was, still like the remake. And I still like the remake, That's yeah. That's why my soulmate. Exactly. See? <laughs> so, no, I think the whole, there's nothing, I mean, and again, uh, every story has been told before. There's no such thing as a completely original movie anymore because, you you know, everything's done. And I don't have any problem in theory with remakes when I find out, oh, they're remaking Rosemary's Baby. They're remaking this. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, my initial reaction is always an eye roll. But then it's, a, well, who's attached to it? Who's behind yeah. it? And if you remake it for a reason, and if you're remaking it because you're coming at it with a, well, you know, I really want to explore this aspect of it, or I want to bring modern technology 
to this kind of story. Like the fly is a good example of that. Okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to explore it in terms of what it really does to the body and all of that. You know, that's the right decision. That's when it can produce something that can be better than the original. It's when, okay, we have our, you know, we've, we've bought some property. What would we buy? Oh, we bought the, we bought, it's alive. What's it about? It's about a killer baby. All right, well, we got, uh, we got about a month. Why don't we make a quick movie about a killer baby? And so it's all about kind of what's involved in it. And mm-hmm. sure, there's remakes have been certainly not a high point in horror cinema in the last 20 years. Um, but that doesn't mean it's it, the, the whole genre is a problem. I think it just means uh, it's about how you approach it. Exactly. I don't think it's approached in the right way. I think um, it's it's not an easy way to cash in to just like update it you either have to you know update the story to make it relevant now whereas you know there's maybe now some kind of disconnect because it's it's not as accessible to to people to younger people now as it was you know to to people in the 70s or you have to you have to capture its essence like what made it scary okay now let's do that um and i don't think a lot of them do that i think that they just give kids cell phones in them and kill them <laughs> with CGI. And then you're like, here's the remake. Well, that's not right. And no movie would be good like that horror remake or not. It's just not going to play. Yeah. I think I've, I've more than anything. I miss the days when you'd have a series and it would get past part two. So I miss like the days where we've got like a Friday the 13th part seven or a Nightmare on Elm Street part five, those sort of higher entries into the series. And, I kind of would like to, if we're going to obviously do it, just even, and I understand obviously the time that's passed between two that you can't just like wheel out to a Black Christmas 2 or something like that because too much time's passed and you haven't got that sort of established audience there. But there is a part of me that obviously thinks if you are going to remake anything, at least give me something I haven't seen. Bring a bring a twist to it, mm-hmm. obviously, as you said, yeah. like with the fly, with the blob, which took an established story and did, did something new. They updated it. Um, was the fly most memorably given us that analogy for old age just through the mm. within the template of the fly so but uh yeah some certainly plenty to chew on over with that one i think Indeed. black christmas is one of those movies which i think is now slowly getting it more of a cool following than it's had before so it'd be obviously interesting to obviously see what more people obviously bring out of this one uh, as it develops that one but we're going to take a quick break uh, now, and uh, when we return, we'll be looking at our second film this evening. Emily's favorite of all time, <laughs> I say. <laughs> this one is all. This one we're going to put on Emily. Uh, it's all. Oh, I take full responsibility for it. Yeah. Do you want to tell tell the uh, nice folks what we're going to be looking at in part two? We're going to be looking at the Nutcracker, the untold story, aka the Nutcracker. 3D. If you like intelligent and smart movie discussion, bases a zombie movie. <laughs> How did he write a book if he doesn't have an arm? Or want to hear the latest news on your favorite actor? Talk some Julianne Moore, I guess. <laughs> Whales have more films than Zoe Montana. To check out the Lambcast, where no question is too risque. Rachel, do you have a mouth? Check out the Lambcast, the official podcast of the Lamb the largest association of movie blogs, which can be found at largeassmovieblogs.blogspot.com. Si habla español. Hola y bienvenido a la... <laughs>
back. Uh, Stu, obviously, joining the studios is both Emily and Christine. Hey, hey. Hi. <laughs> uh, in the first half, we did uh, look at Black Christmas, the original version from Bob Clark. Now we're looking at a pet project of uh, direct, director Andre Kontralowski, uh, who's probably best known for giving us the likes of Tango and Cash and Runaway Train. And here we have an example of a film where the director has been given free reign to oh. do exactly what he wants. $90 million. Are you kidding me? <laughs> $90 million. I mean, obviously, when a director is given such freedom, it can produce great results, as seen with Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. Uh, oh, what? Aronofsky's <laughs> The Fountain. <laughs> Wait, where, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, please go on. I know that you two were going to say something as soon as I mentioned Sucker Punch. But, that uh, was incredibly rude of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let it... It does direct folks to your show because I know that uh, you two enjoyed tearing that one apart. Oh, so. we had we had a very fun episode. That's that's a great. I I don't like to brag about our show, but our sucker punch show is one of my favorites. <laughs> um, oh, uh... but here, as you said already, we have a director being given ninety million dollars to develop a film where he spent over twenty years trying to get into production. I mean, we all have oh. callings in life and those dreams, right? Those things that we want to do for him, it was to make this movie. Yeah. Oh. And uh, apparently he wanted to remake The Nutcracker. The story, at least from his version here, it's uh, set in 1920s Vienna, but nine-year-old Mary, uh, here played by Ellie Fanning, is given a Nutcracker doll by her uncle Albert. Ugh. Albert. Uncle what? Albert. Einstein! Albert Einstein in this movie, you guys. Why not? Oh, Why boy. not, Christine? Oh, boy. Tell, tell me how many times in your life have you heard the song The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies and thought, you know, this is actually about the theory of relativity. Somebody should <laughs> words to this and make it about the theory of relativity. It costs $90 million to do it. Yeah. Wow. Yep. <laughs> but, I mean, if the fact that her uncle is Albert Einstein is not enough for you, she's taken into the magical dimension where toys are human and the evil Rat King, here played by John Toroto, um, once again showing that pretty much he has no shame when it comes to the roles he chooses. Here the Rat King's leading his army which threatens to overthrow humanity. This is a film which also chooses to include scenes such as Nazi imagery, and Hi. having the lead villain kill a shark for no reason other than to prove how evil he is. That, that is my favorite moment of the movie. That is the reason you sold this film to me originally. Yeah, he has a pet shark in a cage, and well, in a tank, and he sings about how, <laughs> like, he has this whole musical number, he's, he's tap dancing about how evil he is and everything, and there, they unveil the shark, and you're like, what's the shark going to do? Is he going to feed people to the shark? Oh my god, I can't wait to see what the shark does. And then at the end of the musical number, he just electrocutes the motherfucking shark. The only reason he has the shark is to kill it in front of people, and we, we watch the shark die. And it's like, oh, you're trying to figure out how to establish a villain. How about you have the villain who's so who's so tough that he owns a pet shark just so he can kill it? Yeah. It's, it's a kids' movie. <sighs> this is also worth noting that when you use the soundtrack with songs which are in the public domain, uh, that again you seemingly have free reign to do what the hell you want. 
Well, Tim Rice, there's, I don't know if you watch the making of, there's like an hour long making of about this movie. Oh, and really? And Tim Rice's lyrics, and he talks about it. He's like, oh, it was, uh, it's, um, who is it? Tchaikovsky, right? He's yeah. like, yes, yeah, so we were able to use the Tchaikovsky music, and I was able to give it lyrics. And I got to tell you, Tchaikovsky is the best collaborator I've ever had because he's dead. Because <laughs> he's dead for 300 years and can't say, what are you doing to my music? I wish that Tchaikovsky had, like, risen from the grave and gone and, like, zombie kicked Tim Rice's ass for this. <laughs> this is probably not only one of the most random viewing experiences, but probably one of the most painful experiences you can have over the festive season. I don't understand why you like this movie so it's much, Emily, because it makes no so lick horrible. of sense whatsoever. It's, I know! I know it doesn't! It is a punishment movie, is what it is. (laughs) If your children are doing something wrong, you say, I'm going to make you watch this terrible Nutcracker movie. And then they're going to be like, oh, is that Moaning Myrtle? Can I watch Harry Potter instead? And then you're going to be like, no. No. Burn all of the copies of Harry Potter and only make you watch this forever. I would probably watch this over Harry Potter. (gasps) I can't help it. You cast Emma Watson in your film, you are doomed your franchise. You know, cast better. Wow. (laughs) Okay, Emma Watson, she screwed up Perks of Being a Wallflower. She screwed up the Blink Break. Perks of Being a Wallflower screwed Perks of Being a Wallflower. (laughs) Oh, no, Perks of Wallflower. (laughs) Let me see. The only initiation into the cool kids group is the fact that you got to watch two guys make out and not react to it. And it's like, you saw it and you accepted it. And I'm thinking, that's not much of an acceptance into your group. And then you got to like be like happy for your friends to go and butcher the Rocky Horror Show with their half-assed Amdram antics. Well, that's a terrible book and not a great movie. So I mean, I've never read the book. That's not her fault. No, I read the book in high school. I, that's did you really? I didn't know I the book existed until recently. Yeah, no, it was like one of those like everybody was lending it to everybody in high school. That's shocking. But no, yeah. you, I mean, how Emma Watson can with straight face perform scenes such where she's on the back of the truck pretending to fly while listening to David Bowie's Heroes and going, oh, what's this song? Like, it's some rare indie gem or something. There is no one alive who doesn't know what David Bowie's Heroes does. Well, 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 let me say something. It was set a long time ago, right? Years ago, Avril Lavigne was announcing the Grammy nomination. David Bowie. And she announced his name as David Bowie. And when people said to her, don't you know who David Bowie is? She's like, no, I'm like 19. Why would I know who David Bowie is? Yeah, but then again, the kids at the MTV Awards didn't know who Lou Reed was when he turned up with Pink. (laughs) It's youth of America and and England are just terrible. I think we can all agree with that. Unlike the Nutcracker, which is just amazing. Yeah, let's, Uh, let's just get back to this. I mean, I just wanted to just talk about Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane you can tell is trying to do something here. I, I, Nathan Lane became Albert Einstein. <laughs> I mean, he breaks the fourth wall. He, why? In this, like, why? Nobody else does. He's so not no one else does. Does it? At first I thought he might be talking to the Nutcracker, and it was revealed that he was talking to the Nutcracker, but he was really just talking to us. Yeah. I know. Why? I know, like, it's... It's a weird way, too, because it's very, like, it comes out of nowhere the first time. Yep, and, and it's like, very it's, jarring. It's like you're looking around, you're like, is he, did you hear that? Is he, is he talking to, did, did, did that just happen? Yeah. And he does it a few more times, but it's not like there's no closure to it. It just, it's just there. Um, and why is he, he also seems to be playing it with, like, a hint of Mary Poppins to him. There's just a little bit of weird. 
a whimsy, if you will. Oh, yes. So and that's, I mean, that's the thing is this, you know, it, Clearly, it was made because he, you know, um, I can't say his name. Uh, the Russian director had visions and had ideas and stuff. And look, I'm all for you want to use Holocaust imagery in an interesting way. Okay. You want to use Holocaust imagery in a kid's movie where you're burning toys and we're not supposed to think that the toys are Jews? I don't know. It gets weird. It gets really weird how dark this movie goes and what it's trying to do by being that dark. Because is it like is it supposed to be that you sit down with your child and have a conversation with them about the Holocaust? I don't know. I mean, you just took it to a dark place. I just thought they were like, the, the fact <laughs> they're burning toys was like the American, again, still in the Nazi vein, but just like the book burning. But, like, we've established in this movie that the toys are real. Like, there's a line where it's like, oh, all dolls are real, which is horrifying. But I feel like the movie's like, no, 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 the toys toys are real in this movie. A toy is a living thing. It's like Toy Story. Mm. Uh, and so then it's like, yeah, now we're going to burn all of them to fuel our city. I don't know. I feel like it's going there. I don't think I'm, I'm looking into it. I'm, I'm seeing it. It's there. Yeah, I mean, again, this is... This is all really down to uh, Toronto. I mean, the fact is he's here playing this, like, fascist leader in his Phil Spector fright wig. Um, <laughs> he has a fright wig. And so he's, true. at the same time, he's bursting into cabaret-inspired dance, song and dance routines and that somehow supposed to show how evil he is. Like, oh. the, the moment we're out of nowhere, he, like, opens his mouth and it's this giant rat mouth that was cool. That's horrifying like just imagine how many kids saw which i don't think any kids saw this but like the ones that did had nightmares i bet yeah i think if they didn't buy that then uh, the decapitation of the jamaican drummer boy oh, <laughs> probably would have done it but, so, so wait i so i guess we're all saying like how wacky it is and like how like i didn't this is crazy what but was no one else bored that, the that first time I watched it, I actually was. Because I, I, okay. I'd, be, I'd be like, my draw, my jaw was hanging out. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And then it would just keep going on for like five minutes. I'm like, oh man, like this shouldn't, this is, for being as weird as it is, it, it is very slow. And it just doesn't make good enough use of its time. So yeah, it's, this is, it's a slog. It's but very I still make everybody yeah, it's like, it. I felt like I was being pulled through the mud. Like, yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't like what was going on. I didn't understand what was going on, but it wasn't it happening fast on. enough. <laughs> and it's very, it's so drab. And part of it might, like, because I'm, I actually have it on mute right now in the background. Oh, and there's that. so much to where, like, there, there's sparkles and there's pretty ornaments and stuff. And maybe in 3D it was supposed to look better. I can't imagine it did. But I think that's where they try to give these really like pretty sparkly things but it's not it's not good looking it's ugly because you have then you you're contrasting it with again the holocaust uh like in this scene where like Elle Fanning's trying to save the nutcracker from going into like a bin and being killed yeah. she's wearing like a holocaust coat she's got this like gray winter wool coat and it's hard not to see it there so yeah i do find it it is um I mean, I, I honestly, I can't imagine anybody liking it unironically or watching it with their family or anything to that extent. I just find it fascinating just how hard it tries and how grand it fails. 
What yeah. do you think it was trying to be, though? I guess I think he was trying to make an artistic children's film. Okay. I think he was trying to use big, grand imagery that's referencing all these things. Like, you look at the architecture, like, some of it's kind like, you can see that there is a visual mind behind it. And the idea of some of what he's doing with, like, the rat people and stuff, I think there was a, we're going to make a really visually striking uh version of the nutcracker we're going to use 3d technology and go one step further and it's just so tone deaf and everything else that it's i mean it's a mess of a movie and there's very little forgiveness to it but i think there's such grand ambition um that it makes it so much more fascinating to me like we're talking about like lazy remakes. This movie ain't lazy. Yeah, no. <laughs> a lot of it's it's, it's, it lazy. it's ambitious to a fault, I think. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think I was just glad that Alan Cummins didn't show up. I think I would have liked to maybe one I don't know, show oh, my yeah, head in the oven or something. <laughs> he would have been the like the perfect rat guy too, come to think of it. Oh there is no well, apart from Casanova Watson, but he's as soon as Alan Cummins comes up, you just know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get high camprey afoot um where he just overacts every scene i mean the fact is he almost killed the character nightcrawler for me with his performance in x-men 2. <laughs> i mean it took me years to like to, to like the character nightcrawler again after he butchered it the way he did so i can see that but uh yeah that's just me and my things you know <laughs> all have our yeah. things that we like and dislike you know yeah no i hear you i disliked this movie <laughs> I fast forward uh, through a bunch of it. Did you? Um, I didn't. I didn't watch this movie in its entirety. Just put it on well, twenty speed. I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I fast forwarded through almost all the songs towards the end, <laughs> and like, I just wanted to hit the high notes. Like, I saw stuff happen. I know what happens. I, I saw the movie. I can tell you about it. But I just didn't need to see all that other stuff. I thought all the rat stuff was so boring. So. I mean, it's ugly. <laughs> uh, my favorite moment in this movie, though, aside from um, the the shark, is when because uh, it's like the most irresponsible line ever written in film. When uh, the little little Dakota Fanning or little Elle Fanning is like <laughs> about, sees like the Nutcracker goes flying, and she's like, "I can't fly." The character says, "How can you? How would you know if you've never tried?" <laughs> so kids watching this movie at home. Yeah, you know what? like you no, know, you're right. I never thought of it that I've way. I never jumped off a building. Jump out of their window. It's yeah. the kind of logic that people drop acid use, isn't it? Yes, yes, and not one that should be. In a, like I would say, if you were to, this is not a good movie to like do drugs and watch because I feel like you'd be so terrified. I think you'd be bored if you tried to do drugs and watch this movie. It's not <laughs> psychedelic enough to really sort of get those uh, those sort of juices flowing. I mean. I mean, yes, it's got some trippy moments. Like, the, as I said, the aforementioned decapitation of the uh, the drummer boy, whose yep. head's then tossed around like a football. Um, and we have the scene where, like, the younger brother's, like, gets in the helicopter and is like, do you know how to fly? It's like, no, but they still <laughs> let him fly anyway. But I've never learned. But yeah. how would maybe I didn't do it. That's real Disney logic right there, isn't it? Very much so. Oh, oh it's just like... 
No matter what I do, everything keeps coming back to the, the shark scene. Does he actually replace the sharks? I'm sure that the screen comes down and like a new shark appears or... <laughs> it's, I know. It's, it, it is just mind-boggling to me that somebody thought it was a good idea to introduce their character by having that character have a pet shark that they then electrocute. Yeah. It's just, it's so, it crosses so many lines. It goes too far. It tries too hard. And in the end, we're left with this like hour 40 minute that's movie that's just that feels like three hours. It does feel like three hours. (laughs) But it's, I mean, again, like, People talk about The Room. People talk about uh, Silent Deadly Night 2. Like, the list of so bad, they're fascinating movies. I never hear anybody address this movie, and I feel like it's one of those. No, this should be a how did this get made. Oh, totally, totally. Because it's like, I don't even know what, I don't know what it was. It made no sense. There was no cohesion in this. There were characters, obviously things from the Nutcracker, because I used to really like that ballet when I was little. There's obviously stuff from there. But then, like, there's, like, this other stuff where where you're just, begs the question, why? (laughs) Why was this the choice? Why was this the decision? And before there was the Nazi imagery, Zach said, is this a Nazi thing? So he's like laying groundwork before he even gets there. It's yeah. really strange. Oh, it's, yeah. It's it's a weird one, and and that's why I want more people to see it, even though they'll Thank all hate it. You. You're welcome. <laughs> I can't help but wonder Christmas. if the fact that it hasn't gained the same sort of cult uh, sort of following, as you said, like Silent Night, Deadly Night Two, which obviously had its memes such as Garbage Day, um, yep. and obviously The Room, which I think is just Every scene in that film is is can just be taken apart and examined. Um, it's the fact that first of all, this being a kids' movie, and the fact that also the the fact that it's, it because it being a kids' movie, it's so childlike in tone that it sort of deters a lot of the more hardened cult and obscure cinema sort of viewers who tend to like tend to sort of search out the more sort of extreme and grotesque sort of imagery, and yep. that's why it's obviously probably fallen under the radar. While like a movie like boarding house or the bikini bandits experiences sort of got more credit when we should obviously be looking at this because it is so so weird and it's weird in yep. very much the same way that those films are weird and the fact that it makes not a lick of sense but you're somehow still watching or perhaps just taking in, in the highlights or something there yeah I don't, I don't is there anything else to really say on this one or I mean, I, I feel as though our discussion has probably given your audience an idea of whether they should watch it or not. Which, yeah, I mean, you know I know, and the do. answer is no, you shouldn't watch it. But if you're like, we you know really, how weird is it? Then of course you should watch it. Nobody else is doing it. I think that it's not on more people's radar as a what the fuck movie. Because it's, it is apparently a children's movie. And sometimes people give those a pass. Right. Or, like, have no expectations for them. Yeah. So they don't, they're not as critical. Whereas you don't even have to be, just sit and watch this. You don't even have to watch it with a critical eye and be like, I expect more from my children's cinema. But it's just a <laughs> fucking bizarre movie. Because that's that, the thing, you're right. Like, you think of, like, the, let's say, like, the Disney sequels that go straight to video. It's like The yeah. Little Mermaid Part 3. And, yeah, they're they're bad and they're lazy. 
but you give it you give it a pass because you're like, well, it's just it's not for me. It's made for the kid that's going to exactly. keep watching it. Exactly. But, but this who movie is, is this kind of movie? Made for. Right, because it is a kids movie. But like, you shouldn't show this to your child because no. it's gonna it's gonna give them nightmares and they're gonna have questions. And I don't and know I if you're ready to answer has- them. I don't think it has a moral standing either to walk away from it and be like, well, that was a little disturbing, but at least now kids know to blankety blank. I don't know. Not be Nazis, not be a prince. I don't know what it's teaching. Listen to Albert Einstein. Yes. Do you think that it may have been made in a way to sort of cash in on that sort of niche market that uh, films such as Night Before Christmas, uh, Coraline, Perhaps to an extent, the Dark Crystal, those sort of darker kids movies, and they thought, "Oh, we can put it in this group." I think maybe, um, he saw and that's that. how it got so sort of passed through. Uh, maybe, think... and again, yeah, he'd been he'd wanted to do this movie for twenty years. Like he just always felt like there was a way to do the Nutcracker, and he had a vision for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I I have nothing against the darker kids films. I find no, them generally awesome. very interesting. Uh, I don't even know if you would put this in that category because it doesn't present itself that way. Yeah. You looked at the marketing for this movie and it was, you know, the cover art's very bright. Uh, it's all about the 3D. It's, you know, Elle Fanning's face, it, like front and center and all these toys around her. Like it wasn't sold that way. And even when you start watching it, it takes a while till it gets to Auschwitz, basically. And so I don't know if, if they were smart enough to think of it that way. Yeah, I, and it's so funny how, you know, Emily brings up that it was like a passion project and all that stuff. Um, and it was somebody's goal because watching it, I didn't know really all that backstory. I either thought there were too many people involved or not enough people involved. So yeah, clearly it's, it's the, the, there was not enough people involved in this and yep. i don't i don't know i would have to talk to that man and ask him what his problem is get the dvd and watch the uh hour-long making of oh, okay. See, that seems more I torturous did. than the film yeah <laughs> kind of I mean, it's, it might give you some respect for it <laughs> i don't know i think that it'd be like <laughs> when i watch the special features like charlie's angels uh, full throttle and you got back g there saying oh yeah we use rage against the machine the soundtrack so like the older brother's been dragged there by the little sister to see Charlie's Angels think, oh yeah, Rage Against the Machine, this movie's cool. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, first of all, why would older brothers be have to drag to a movie featuring like free hot checks? Yeah. Um, and why are they suddenly like hearing Rage Against the Machine going to suddenly like change their opinion of this film? Oh yeah, Rage Against the Machine. This, this, movie, let's say, this movie could have used more Rage Against the Machine. Ugh, I don't know. Maybe less. No. <laughs> well, thanks, Em. <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys. Any Merry final Christmas. thoughts? Have we? Uh, is is this one just that you have to like go and then just sit in the dark room and try and figure out what the hell that we? I think people that are looking for something really weird and uh, can stomach bad. Uh, I just I think it's worth watching if you're somebody that like me that has an appreciation for for ambitious movies that fail. This is a prime example of it. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good classification. It, yeah, and I love those kinds of movies because I just I think they're fascinating. Because you think of how hard it is to make a movie and how hard it is to get funding for a movie and how how long it takes and you have editing and all of that stuff. And you know, any bad movie, you still have to give it a modicum of respect to be like, well, you know, but they made a movie. They they put this together in the end. And this is one of those cases where it's like, yeah, they did, and they were really proud of it. 
and this is the end result. And yep. it's it, to me that's fascinating. Cool. I, the only thing I can think of that while I'm obviously looking back at this now, um, it brings to mind the live action version of Pinocchio they did. And that's I Jonathan think- Taylor Thomas. Oh no, you're you're thinking the one with uh, Roberto Benigni. I don't believe it was the Bettini, Bettini one. Um, it was sort of like the one in the mid-90s, I want with to say. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Roberto. No, so no the animated one was, was JTT, wasn't it? No, I thought he was in a live... Hey, guys. Now I don't want to look back here. Well, I, I know. I have that. seen the Roberto, the Roberto Benigni Pinocchio is actually the closest movie I can think of to this... to um, to Nutcracker 3D. And it's also terrible. Jonathan Taylor Thomas looks like a hipster now. Who would have thought? Everybody. Who would have thunk it? Well, it's not his best known for, shockingly. (laughs) (laughs) He did a Pinocchio. I just thought it was an animated one. Um, Yeah, because obviously that was 2002, the... uh, Well, no, it's live action, I think. Yeah, it would be the one that uh, Christine said. Well, I'm just telling you that I'm the Roberto so Benigni. No, no, Adventure of Pinocchio, voice, 1996. Yeah, but oh, oh my God! Thank Can you. Look at the poster for that movie. Yes. Yeah, someone with his nose looks like a penis or a worm. This movie looks terrifying. Yeah. He's, oh God! But, but he's in it. It's live action. Okay, I believe you but, now. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> God, um, I need to see should, this movie. We should watch it. We totally are going to. Yes. Can I double dare you to watch this one now? Oh, you don't even have to. It's done. No, it's already happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Pinocchio again um, is one that whenever they did adaptation, especially in the 90s, they did some really weird twisted versions. Uh, we obviously had this version, which was the 1996 version, which was weird. Uh, we also had an anime-style cartoon series, which had um, had the the uh, the fairy godmother being killed. Um, and Pinocchio, his, his redeeming feature, which turns him into a real boy, was not flooding a town after he tries to knock, knock down a dam. That's nice of him. So, uh, yeah, there's some reason these dark adaptations of Children's and when we look at obviously classic fairy tales, a lot of them are very dark. Yeah, they come from very dark places. Um, Which is fine. I'm into that. Version, so, but um, yeah, when it comes to the Nutcracker and Freddy, this is one dark version which uh, doesn't work. You know, you can do dark <laughs> I, for kids, yeah. but this is a bit too dark. Yeah, I agree. Weird. I agree. Do we have any final thoughts on this one? Or are we uh, we all good? I think I'm good. I think I've said my piece and done my job here. Emily's done it. <laughs> I'm just looking back at my view. I've noticed I opened with um, a favorite of my good friend, Emily, and I'm thinking, good friends don't recommend movies like this. <laughs> but no. It's one of those things you have to come to terms with. Hey, man. You know, friends have to challenge you sometimes, and that's what I like to that's... think I did. Kind of aside, it's, um, it is it is a film that's worth watching at least once, just just for the sheer randomness of it. Um, I understand what you're saying, Christine, in that it's a bit of a slog. Uh, the yeah. musical numbers certainly don't help this one at all. No. Um, so you can put it. Yeah, and I'm a musical those. fan, but the musical numbers in this one are terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to um, hear uh, Albert Einstein sing along about theories of relativity to the uh, Sugar Plum Fairy, I mean, yeah. that's, 
someone at least to watch it for. But yeah, there's enough random imagery to give it a cautionary watch once, I would say. But uh, yeah, this isn't one you're probably going to return to. Um, I know, Emily, do you return to this one a lot? Or? Just watching it right now. I have it on the phone <laughs> right now. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen it three times now. I predict that by the time I'm dead, I will have seen it 18 times. <laughs> cool. Um, and that, I guess, brings us to the end of uh, another edition of the Mad Bad Damage Strange Showcase. Uh, thank you both, Emily and Christine, for coming on and joining me this evening for our second Thank you, thank you for having me, and thank you guys for watching The Nutcracker. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, obviously, over on the air, Feminine Critique, uh, what have you got coming up? Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be the new year, or you've still got some festive specials to come out oh, yeah. in your main show? Well, we have we have stuff coming, for sure. We, we got stuff. We got Apparently, it. We're doing this our is our busiest time of the year. <laughs> and it really shouldn't be. Like, I'm swamped with other stuff, but I'm like, no, we got to keep recording. Um, so yeah, we've got a Silent Night, Deadly Night twofer coming. That'll be our next episode. Uh, we'll have another couple of stocking stuffer uh, Christmas movie episodes. So uh, December will be quite busy for us. And I did also forget to uh, mention as well, you did recently do an interview on one of your more recent episodes with the director of Santa 3000. Of Infinite Santa 8000, yes. Infinite Michael Santa Phil. 8000, sorry. Um, uh, who's, yeah, who's fantastic and everybody should check out his stuff. Uh, and yeah, I think, I don't know if you've uh, checked it out at all, Elwood, but I think you would enjoy it. I've, uh, seen the first one. I, I did enjoy it. Um, it is random, <laughs> to say the least, yep. but in a good way. I would, um, hopefully I'm going to get through the rest of them while the festive season is, because, you know, as soon as the 26th rolls around, that's the end of the festive viewing season. And going to go back to just watching normal randomness instead of festive randomness. Yeah. I like to extend it a little bit into January. I can go into January. Like, for me, I don't see my family really until, like, mid-January for Christmas. So, like, we get that weekend as sort of, like, end of Christmas. And you have, I guess there used to be a thing of, like, like a little Italian Christmas, which I think is supposed to be January 6th. Um, so I like to push it just a little bit further. Cool. And, uh, obviously, if people want to uh, find your various Twitter feeds and other good stuff to do with the app, uh, the podcast and your blogs and your writing and everything else that all the other projects that you uh, two have happening where's the uh, best place for people to go uh for my blog you can go to deadlydollshouse.com uh for my twitter it is at deadly dolls for our show twitter it is at feminine podcast and christine if you'd like to um, give you my the best place to find me is twitter and i'm para xteen on twitter um but i'm sure if they follow you then they'll find me i'm not that not that elusive <laughs> you're no jtt no i i am a hipster though so that's true you live in austin yeah <laughs> um thank you again ladies for coming on uh next episode we're going to be joined by todd liebenau of uh, forgotten films as well as the walt semi podcast um for those not familiar with todd already he is the lamb's very own puppet guy um, and we've got him on to talk about two musicals of sorts. We've got the psychedelic Swan Song for the Monkeys, who's starring Head, as well as the third and ugly best Beatles film, Yellow Submarine. Um, so we're going to be getting him on. We're going to be talking about the Muppets. We're going to be talking about puppets, as well as uh, both the music of the Monkeys and the Beatles. So it should be another fun show. Uh, but again, thank you, Terminal and Christine, for joining me for this festive special. Thank you um, for having us. Thank you, everyone, uh, again for listening. If you haven't done already, you can follow the show on Twitter at 
which is at Elwood underscore Jones. We're on the Facebook as well. Just look up Mad Bad and Downright Strange. It will come up there as well. Um, and also check out uh, Channel Super where I'm still continuing my revisit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, currently nearing the end of season two, but it's, we've got plenty of good stuff on there as well. Uh, with stuff like The Walking Dead, iZombie, Gotham, Supergirl. Uh, old school Batman, there's a whole bunch of uh, great superhero TV stuff on there as well. So I urge you to check them out at channelsuperhero.com. Um, again, thank you for listening. And uh, until next time, this is Edward Jones. Sign off for my news always to keep it strange. <laughs>